And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Bulldogs won a Tuesday night game in short fashion. Five innings against Jacksonville State, 6-1, to one after dropping two of three this prior weekend to the Missouri Tigers. And, Charlie, hey, I know it rained, and I knew we knew we were going to play through rain on Tuesday night, but State needed something positive going into this weekend. I had a strong feeling that short of – a torrential downpour and lightning in the area, we were going to get that one started. And, in fact, you could tell that once there was a break in the weather, it's like we're starting this thing on time. We're going to go as far as we can. And they had to work a little bit to get four and a half, but got it there. And the good news is some guys able to get some confidence. You had some guys hit the ball well. It was a little up and down on the mound, I thought. You know, didn't always hit the strike zone. But battled through it, right? Parker Stinnett, I mean, it was the Newt Lelouch line, you know. He, you know, he didn't. He struck out. You know, had some strikeouts. He walked some guys. Hit a guy. Hit a guy. Didn't give up a hit. I it mean, pitched around trouble. And so the good news is you pitch around it. Bad news is you pitched into it. I guess. Do you think that was somewhat of an audition for Sunday? Because we're, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do on Sunday, and then all of a sudden you bring Jackson Fristo back after that. You know, two-inning outing in the Saturday start, game three start this past week, you kind of wonder what's going forward with State. And, of course, yesterday the league came out with all the pitching rotations and State and Alabama have the TBA for the game three Saturday this weekend. And so you kind of wonder if taking a look at a couple of those guys just to see if they will kind of rise to the top. I think it may be. I felt like with Stanette, he had – struggle with control a little bit lately and I thought maybe it was just a chance to try to work some of those things out get some clean innings to start a game be sure you get him his time I like getting Fristo back out there I just don't think this team will be able to pitch its way to Omaha without getting some quality innings out of him we talked about it on the broadcast Jim Case coming back bringing his team over and Jim Case now in his 20th year as the head coach at Jacksonville State we had him on this show this time last year, talking about graduate assistants and whatnot. And, man, it was great to see him. He's done a great job at Jacksonville State. But there's also a guy that has a real direct, important past with Mississippi State. So many cool stories about him. You know, obviously the recruiting of Paul Mahalam that we've talked about, he was largely responsible for getting him on campus. And then one of my favorite things is the way that baseball coaches, you say this all the time, baseball is just different. We visited with Lane Burroughs, and what does he say? I learned to recruit by watching Jim Case recruit Paul Mahalam. And so why does that matter? Because Lane Burroughs is one of those guys who really played a role in getting your Hunter Renfro's and your Chris Stratton's and guys like that in here. Brent Rooker. I mean, so many different guys. Okay, so looking back at last weekend and now coming ahead to this weekend, final weekend of the regular season, State dropping two out of three against Missouri. We talked about it kind of ad nauseum on the Sunday coffee show. Just looking back at that, we talked about it on Sunday. I'm not a believer either, Charlie, and I don't think you are as well, that sometimes losses are good. We needed that win on Tuesday night, and so now we need a good weekend this weekend. I feel like it's a series that Mississippi State really needs to win. I'm not going to go to the point of saying you need to sweep. I do think you really need to take two out of three. And probably as important as anything, forget whether you win two, whether you win three, you need to leave feeling like you were playing well, getting some guys some competitive at-bats, getting some getting some starting pitching. You know, getting deeper into the ball games with your starters, I think, would go a long ways to helping you feel better about where you are. 
you got Christian McLeod and Ross for Alabama tonight, and so that should be a pretty good pitching matchup. Ross's record is not very good. His ERA is okay, but, hey, we need a good start tonight out of Christian McLeod. Of course, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with a home team. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. They have tremendous service along with their great rates. So check them out online at favorites.com. If you want to talk to an agent, just call your local Farm Bureau agent, and, of course, you're going to know them. They're, they're the guys who are embedded in your community. And so go with a home team at Farm Bureau and check them out at favorites.com. Well, this week on the show, when we come back, we're going to talk to one of the all-time greats at Mississippi State and one of the all-time great characters at Mississippi State, Pete Young, pride of Summit, Mississippi, came up here, played 1987 to 1989, played professional ball, was the Montreal Expos, just a tremendous, just dirty dog. I mean, just a guy that just got after it every time he hit the the field. And so we're going to talk to to Pete Young. And then with State going to Alabama this weekend, we're going to check in with Greg Byrne, the athletic director at Alabama. Of course, spent a couple years as the AD here at Mississippi State, went out to Arizona, now back in the SEC at Alabama. We'll talk to him. And so Charlie and I will get you ready for the Bulldogs and the Crimson Tide this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, here in the final weekend of the SEC regular season. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. It's time now for our featured guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish you could possibly ask for. They sell it in supermarkets throughout the South. Just look for that black and blue label that just screams at you, Heartland. And, of course, they're also located at some of the best restaurants in the South, and one you certainly can't go wrong with is Nick's Barbecue in Carlisle, Arkansas. At Nick's, of course, you can't go wrong with the barbecue, but that's the place you know it's just east of Little Rock on I-40. They have that combo where you can get the catfish and barbecue. They actually have that signature combo. So when you're making the trek from Memphis to Little Rock, and hey, make sure you hit the bypass around Memphis and not the I-40 bridge. Make sure you break up your trip in Carlisle at Nick's Barbecue and get a big old plate of that outstanding catfish and just know they got it right here in the state of Mississippi from our good friends at Heartland Catfish. And so let's go to the phones and talk to one of the all-time greats at Mississippi State. Pete Young joins us here on the Out of Left Field Show. And, Pete, Charlie and I talk about this with a lot of different guys that we talk to on the show. And we kind of start everything by saying, first of all, what do you remember about your recruiting and how did you end up at Mississippi State? You're a Mississippi guy. What do you what do you remember back in the mid-1980s and what made you come to Startville? For me, it was at that time there was no other place really to go to except Mississippi State if you wanted – you know, anything of a baseball career or anything like that, Coach Polk had, had just set the tone going to the World Series with Raphael and Will and Brantley and Big Ben and Van Cleve and that whole group, Gator Thiessen and all those guys, you know, kind of set the tone. And everybody was playing catch-up at that time, you know, in my opinion. You know, there were still some other schools out there. You know, I was recruited by LSU, and I know Arkansas wasn't, in the mix of the SEC at that time, but recruited by them and Vanderbilt. So 
I was recruited by some other schools, but it was pretty much down to LSU, Ole Miss, and State. You know, by God, when you come on your recruiting visit and you can't even get into the Degum Stadium, you got to sit outside the stadium for the first game, you know, that you're there and to watch those crazy people in the left field lounge. And I say crazy, I'm using that loosely. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Just high, <laughs> high, high, high quality people out there that know a lot about baseball, love their Mississippi State baseball, love college baseball, period. But, yeah, I, I spent the, my recruiting visit the first game. Uh, I actually sat on the, the stone out there on that hill between the hump and Duty Noble that it says Duty Noble Field, little square rectangular. <laughs> me, my mom and dad, and best friend of the family, and I had two nephews with me. And that's where we spent our, uh, you know, back then we played doubleheaders. So I had played a game in Jackson and came into town. I caught the second game of the doubleheader. But that's where I watched it. And uh, without getting the uh, full experience of the left field lounge, once you see those people and how much they're passionate and love for it, and then you talk to Coach Pogue, legendary coach, it's pretty much a no-brainer. And uh, that's where I wanted to be after I left my visit. I left the office. I was like, Coach Pogue, I'm ready to sign right now. And he goes, no, no, no. You got two more visits left. Take them. Enjoy them. And we'll talk to you during that process. But uh, you go ahead and take those other visits. I said, yes, sir, but I just want you to know I'm ready to sign now. Pete, I think back to your career, and one of my favorite years was the first one. You know, 1987, you guys have to sweep your way into the SEC tournament, then you go over to Athens and win the thing. It just seemed, looking you know, through the eyes at the time of a 13-, 14-year-old, the guys on that team were exceptionally close. They bonded with each other, and as that year went along, just kind of made each other better. What was it like playing with the John Shaves, Jody Hurst, Richie Grahams, all those guys on that team? Well, I tell kids, you know, I work with kids, travel ball lessons now. And, you know, to me, the game of baseball brings a lot of things to the table. You know, you hear people speak, it, it teaches you discipline, it teaches you, you know, camaraderie, teammates, and stuff like that. But, you know, to me, baseball, one of the things that I've been blessed with is people that I've played with or played against, friendships, the camaraderie. We still stay in touch with each other. People off that team, Bobby Reed, Tracy Joes, Mike Martin. I know I'm forgetting a lot of guys because you named a bunch too. And, you know, when you see each other at the ballpark or even at a little league field, you know, it, it shakes a hand, man hug, and man, how's everything good? How's it going? You look good. Pete, you gained a lot of weight. You know, what, what you doing with yourself? Uh, <laughs> stuff like I'm talking to Coach Polk. But anyway, uh, it was, we were a close-knit group. And I don't know if y'all remember Nelson Arrieta. Yep. My aunt, you know, he had got hit in the eye or the face earlier in the year. He came back and pitched that Sunday game to clinch it. And uh, that was his first start back after that uh, getting hit in the face with that ball. And he come out there and dealt for us. So, yeah, that was a big series. I remember it very well. Uh, you know, and I remember, you know, playing with the twins, Ron and, and Barry. I still talk to both of them a lot. So, yeah, we were real close, close knit. We had John Mitchell and uh, Bobby Griffin, and Craney was our senior captain, senior leaders, so it, it was a real good group. 
We're talking to Pete Young, former Bulldog pitcher, third baseman. And before we kind of get into dual position and, and, and what you did at Mississippi State, I remember this story, and it's been a long time now. It's hard to believe we're getting older, about you mm-hmm. getting locked in the clubhouse one night and spending the night in the locker room. And so my question has always been, I, I keep every time I see you, I want to ask this question, but I keep forgetting. How did you get locked in the clubhouse and not locked out of the clubhouse? I, I, I could never figure out how that you had to stay inside. This was the new Duty Noble, which is now known as the old Duty Noble. <laughs> but if you were in the locker room and they locked the door that you, the main entrance that goes, to the concourse we came in most of the time if it got locked from the outside you couldn't get out you couldn't get you couldn't go through the dugout either you couldn't do it undo it unless you had keys so the only way once you got you were there through the locker room you had to go through the tv room and once you got through the tv room you could exit onto the concourse well i went in to hit some extra with coach mack and you know he had a speaking engagement or something like that going on. So he said, you know, hey, just go on out through the TV room and I'll see you tomorrow at practice. I said, okay, no problem. Well, there was a problem. The door leading into the TV room was locked. So I was locked in. There was no way to get to the door that leads to the uh, to the concourse. So, yeah, I was locked in there uh, for about until I think it was about – Six o'clock, maybe the next morning. Finally, one of the custodians came in to start cleaning or something like that, and that's how I got out. But we had hot dogs in the old uh, hydrocolator. That's what I suffer. Uh, guys came in. Our big thing in there was playing sock ball. I had rolled up and taped about a dozen sock balls, so we were ready to play that. You know, and really the only thing that sucked about it, I couldn't get to the TV. If I had the TV, it's been fine. But no, I was locked out of the TV room. I couldn't, you know, and I always get around and tell Coach, Coach Matt and Coach Pope they, they did it so I'd have to study, you know. But uh, I didn't even have a book to study with because I was there to hit extra. So it all backfired on all of us. But, yeah, that's a true story. Pete, you played two positions at Mississippi State. You played third base, get late in the ball game, and – they just hand the ball off to you. You'd close it out. We talked to Tim Hudson a couple of weeks ago, and obviously in his time at Auburn just after you, he had a lot of success as a starting pitcher and then as a position player. But I always thought it had to be a little difficult to take the field at third base and then still thinking, all right, got to be ready to go at the end of the game on the mound. How was your mindset as you went into ball games, knowing that you could always be called upon in that ninth inning? Well, first of all, you know, I guess because I did it the other way, you know, I I admire how a starter could do it because I wanted to play the field and then be ready, bounce around, get involved in the game, and then be able to go. I don't know if I could handle that being stretched out for 80 to 100 pitches, whatever the pitch count was back then, and then turn around the next day and you know, have to go to the outfield or DA, that would just drive me back crazy. So I preferred it that way. I, you know, get involved in the game, and then I knew it got to that seventh, eighth inning. It was a close ball game. Then it was going to be my turn once that roll hit me. Uh, I don't even remember when it kind of settled in, probably halfway through my freshman year, I guess it was, but somewhere around there. And 
in pro ball. I was a reliever first part of my pro ball year. Uh, they made me a starter for about a half a year, but it was more so as developmental to, to develop my breaking ball stuff. And then I went back to the bullpen after about a half a year as a starter. And I just enjoyed that role because I felt like I had an opportunity to help or I was available to get in that game. Even though I wasn't an everyday player in pro ball, I felt like I had something to contribute or I had a chance to get in that game and get that adrenaline rush. I, I fed off of it at Mississippi State, crowd going crazy, closing the game out, and everybody on their feet and trying to get that last out. So, I mean, it would be late in the game before, you know, we'd actually, or it would actually hit me, you know, when I'd see Coach Pope put the little folder down and put a cigar down and pen down and come out of his chair, then I knew it was it was time. So uh, I remember the first time they came to me at practice, you know, do you want to pitch? And I just looked at Coach Mack and I said, yeah, sure, I guess. I don't care. Next thing I know, I was nicknamed Nighthawk during the scrimmages because I would pitch last. Coach Polk wouldn't turn the lights on, and we would have old dirty black balls, and I was throwing fast <laughs> balls and all the guys get back to the door. Yeah, you got the lowest rating as a pitcher because can't nobody see the ball. <laughs> you know, Coach Polk turns the light on, we can we can probably hit off of it. So they nicknamed me Nighthawk, you know, because of that. We're talking to Pete Young, former Mississippi State pitcher, pitched with the Montreal Expos. Pete, I got a text message this past weekend or it was a tweet or something. And, of course, we got the right fielder, Tanner Allen, who's having just an unbelievable year. And he plays hard. He plays the game the way you're supposed to play it. But the, if somebody sent me a, a text or a tweet and said, he's always dirty. He kind of reminds me of Pete Young that every time he played the game, he played it hard. I look at how kids are today, and you have just great, exceptional athletes. And you're working in, in travel ball and been working with kids from that are nine years old up. And, and I know you probably work with a lot of kids that are tremendous athletes. But one of the things that you just can't teach, and one of the things we talked to Kendall Graben about and some of these guys that made it to the big leagues about just how competitive you have to be, the drive you have to have. What was behind the drive for Pete Young? You know, and I don't know. I think everybody's got a different drive. But, you know, for me, I didn't want to lose. I didn't want to get beat. You know, earlier I mentioned the game of baseball. It, it has so many valuables in the game. And to me, it's, it's the one sport where it's one-on-one, but it's, it's such a team sport. You know, it's one-on-one, me against the pitcher or me pitching against that hitter. But it takes it takes eight of them behind you when you're pitching to play defense. It takes all nine in a lineup to score some runs. You know, you win a ball game 0-0. Zero, zero. So it takes a whole team. It takes a bullpen. It's bottom line, it comes down to pitcher against hitter. So that's the unique situation. I don't want to lose. I'm not going to let that guy beat me. Kind of reverts back to coming in to close the game. I didn't really care who was in that batter's box. There was no secret. I was going to throw a strike. And I was going to try to throw it by you 99% of the time. I didn't know what a breaking ball was until I got in pro ball or actually how to throw a true breaking ball. I had a little bender or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, that will to win. I know I, I heard Barry Winford say one time, uh, Something happened during ball game, and he, he could just tell that I had gotten mad. 
and first pitch I threw after whatever the situation was, he said, you know, he came out there and he said, hey, you got to settle down. You can't, you can't pitch all mad. Get back, be competitive, and compete, which is what you do best. But you can't do it mad. Wasn't that Frank Thomas? Might have been. I don't know. I, I really do. I just remember, and it might have been on y'all's y'all's podcast or something. But I just I just remember uh, hearing Barry tell that story. It was, and I was just like, you know, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, Barry but told us you got to you fight know, him alone. And, 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 then, and then me being the nice guy that I am, that I like to think I am, I'm sitting there, me get mad, but I'm sure I was. And if, if I wasn't in a funk, I wanted somebody throwing to me. I wanted to hit. I'd hit until my hands bled. You know, I might get locked in the locker room because I need more hitting. Pete, before we let you go, man, we've thoroughly enjoyed this. I've got a 10-year-old son playing travel ball right now. If you're talking, <laughs> if you're talking to a 10-year-old kid, what are you telling them? What's the most important thing you're trying to tell a, a 10-year-old kid right now? Probably would be what I tell my kids. Number one, we're going to play hard. When you play hard, it makes the game fun. If you're not playing hard, then the game becomes boring. You get lazy. But if you're playing the game hard and you respect the game, the game is fun. And always keep your goals simple. Our goals are very simple for the kids that I work with and One's at Mississippi State right now, playing baseball at Mississippi State, Kellen Clark. I coached him in travel ball many years ago. Our goal, our first goal is to be the best high school baseball player we can be. When we finish our travel ball up as a 9-, 10-year-old, we want to set the foundation and the, the mindset that we can be a real good baseball player at the high school level. Then we're going to go and start just letting everything take over from there. My, my advice, play the game hard, respect the game, because it is a wonderful, wonderful game. The ins and the outs and all the little tidbits, all the little cheating secrets that, that you gain along the way and people that you meet, you know, like you guys, you know. If it wasn't for baseball, I'd have never met you, Bart, if, if, if I wasn't up there to see the, the new button. And those big condos out there that I keep dreaming about buying one day, you know? You never know who you're going to meet and, and walk, you know, walking down the street and guy walks up and says, are you Pete Young? And I said, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. and I like, yes, yes, I am. He goes, I remember seeing you and man, my dad took me to the game and you know, now I'm coaching their kids, you know, and it's like, it's, it's, it's a humbling sport. You know, it keeps you in check. Coach Boke always said, can't get too high, can't get too low. So, you know, if I had to sum it up, play hard, respect the game. Throw it out there and let's see what happens. Pete, thoroughly enjoyed it. Always great to talk with you. Anytime, guys. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. And let's get those Bulldogs back out there in Omaha. And that's Pete Young, one of the all-time greats at Mississippi State. Third baseman, pitcher, Charlie. Heard him talk about a moment ago. I mean, it was back in – 1987, 88, 89. If you had a lead going to the seventh inning, if it was a seven-inning seven inning game or the ninth inning and a nine-inning game, you knew you were going to see Pete Young. Absolutely. You were going to see Ron Polk come out of the dugout, just point to third base. And then Richie Graham was going to grab a glove, go from being the DH, going to third. Pete Young would come to the mound. And, you know, it's really interesting when you start thinking, we don't have anything like Pete Young now. 
No, uh, nothing close. You know, after you had Bobby Thigpen that played right and that would come in, you had Pete Young that played third, would come in. Chuck Daniel, remember Chuck Daniel? Yep. His daughter's on the golf team here. Right. And Chuck Daniel would come from third and pitch. But Pete was, man, he was just a different breed. And the thing that I remember about Pete Young, you would go to the game and there would be more 12-year-olds, I was one nine-year-olds, with number 31 jerseys on. And the first thing they would do when they got there is find some dirt and get covered in it because yes. that was the the iconic view of Pete Young was kind of eye black everywhere, sweaty, and just covered in dirt. That could just ball. Just a player. Just a ball player. And, you know, Pete was an underrated athlete, I think, you know, because he was yes. a big guy. But Pete was extremely athletic. I think you mentioned to me, I mean, the guy was a, a heck of a catcher in high school. Yeah, he's a good catcher. I mean, he was a good doubles hitter. I mean, he's a guy that could run the bases. But, man, my goodness. Real quick, he said something in there. We've talked to a number of guys, and they're right with their answer, of what's the key when you're talking to a young kid about playing baseball. And they all say, hey, just make sure they have fun. Make sure they have fun. He brought a new caveat. He went a little deeper with that when he said, play hard to have fun because this game is not fun when you're not playing hard. So you have to play hard to have fun. And I think back, and I look at Tanner Allen. Why don't we like Tanner Allen so much? Why do we like Jake Mangum so much? Why do we love Pete Young so much? Because they played hard. They won the crowd. They won the crowd. Jake every, Robson. Jacob Robson. Those guys won the crowd every time they went out because of effort. And you know what? It doesn't, doesn't take a whole lot of athleticism to have effort. But when you got athleticism to go along with effort, those are the guys you remember. And I'll tell you what, 12-year-old Bart Gregory used to love watching Pete Young. When we come back, we'll talk to the athletic director at Alabama. Greg Byrne will join us. Of course, the Bulldogs going on the road and taking on Alabama starting tonight. And they'll play Friday and Saturday, final SEC weekend of the year. We're back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. With the Bulldogs taking the road over at Alabama for the next few days, we'll talk to current athletic director at Alabama, Greg Byrne. Of course, Greg served as the athletic director at Mississippi State from 2008 to 2010. Went on to Arizona, now back in the SEC at Bama. And this conversation brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, made right here in the state of Mississippi down in Florence. You can stop by their storefront on Highway 49 at Country Meat Packers. Load up on everything you could possibly want for a tailgate or just a good night by the grill in the backyard. And, of course, their staple is that great country-pleasing sausage. Whether you're looking to put the original in a crawfish bowl, hey, that jalapeno cheddar goes well in a crawfish bowl too, or you want the green onion, the pineapple pork, they sell it by the case there. And if you haven't had the three cheese or the black pepper cheddar, you definitely want to try it. So, once again, this conversation brought to you by our good friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. So we go to the phones where a Mississippi State graduate, it's a master's degree, He's the athletic director at the University of Alabama. Greg Byrne joins us. And, Greg, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We had an interesting year, just like everybody else, and tried our you know, kind of the whole attitude we took at the beginning when the pandemic hit was, you know, we're going to respect the virus because we didn't know a whole heck of a lot about it. We were going to do our best to respect one another. And 
And then also, you know, after talking to our medical folks, our, our mental health people that we deal with, we felt the right thing for our, for our student athletes. Our program was to do everything we could to move forward safely. And that was what we did. But it's been a challenging year for everybody. But I do feel like we're making progress from a vaccination standpoint and hope, you know, hope that people are doing that to move forward. And, and our, our student athletes, have, we've been educating them on that and, and they've responded very well. And most of our staff has, too. So we're, I feel like we're making a lot of progress. And that's a good thing. We talked to Ray Tanner a couple of weeks ago, Greg, and just kind of got his thoughts on the, the world of college baseball. And I just want to go back and kind of your journey of, of coming to the SEC at Mississippi State, then going back out west with Arizona, now back in the league at Alabama. Before you got to Mississippi State, you you, you were at Oregon State and at Oregon, and then really you went to the Kentucky and then at Mississippi State. Just your thoughts of jumping around and, and seeing different parts of the country just how much different is baseball in the deep south than in other parts of the country? I grew up out west, but I've actually lived a good chunk of my adult life in the south, you know, whether it's whether it's Mississippi, Alabama, Kentucky. And so I, I think I have a kind of unique perspective on, on seeing both areas of the country like I have. You know, and, and to be honest, in, in Tucson, baseball was a big deal there we, we were fortunate to win the national championship in 2012 and and lost on the last play of the game in 16 to coastal carolina and uh and obviously i got a good taste of of uh, sec baseball during my time at mississippi state i remember the the excitement when we hired john cohen just around the state of mississippi i remember we jumped around the state that day of the press or the day i think the day of the press conference and introduced john and Nell to a couple different areas and and I always remember walking into the Sports Hall of Fame in Jackson, and I don't know how many people were there. It felt like a thousand, and everybody's ringing their cowbells. And, and it's like, you know, you don't see this at every place. And that's, I think, the tagline for the SEC, it just means more, is one of the best taglines ever invented. And I think baseball is right at the top of that as far as just the, the emphasis that we put on that here in this conference. And, 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 I, and I was probably at the place in the West, at Arizona, that, that have the most passionate fan base where you know we get eight or nine thousand people for a baseball game there on a friday and saturday night that was pretty cool but that's something that you see if not even more so at some places including mississippi state on a regular basis and and that just uh, it, that makes college baseball very special greg i'm curious in your time in athletic administration how have you seen baseball grow in popularity across the different regions and then even within the sec have you noticed a change of importance in baseball over the past couple of decades? Obviously, I, I came into the league in 2002, and I had familiarity with it before, but, you know, it's when we moved to Kentucky and Mitch Barnhart, who's still the AD there, hired hired me to be the fundraiser. You know, at Kentucky at the time, we, you know, we hired a new head coach called named John Cohen at Kentucky. That's where I first met John. So, and he made the program a lot better. And so you, you saw just even in the Lexington market or in the state of Kentucky, the emphasis and the focus on baseball dramatically increased in a, in a short period of time. When I would talk to Coach Polk and I would talk to old coaches in the league, Skip Burtman, it sounded like it was something that it was always important. You know, I think the two of you probably could tell me better. Has it grown in popularity? Is it is it just as was it is it just as important as when Mississippi State had some of their best teams with with Palmero and Clark, or or is it even is it even a bigger deal now? I think what one of the things that's happened place in the summer is as ESPN has continued to give great coverage to the game 
when it comes to the playoffs and the College World Series, I think that's helped spread that footprint of what college baseball is to other parts of the country that haven't seen it before at the same level. And I think it's something that we're just, I, I hope we're going to continue to see it grow to where that interest, you know, shows that baseball is an important sport and, it, and it's good for the young men who play it. It's good for the universities and, and anything we can do to support it is a good thing going forward. And I think that starts in, in the footprint of what the SEC is. Greg, it's been interesting over the past couple of years. You talked about Coastal Carolina. We've seen in the past few years Michigan making a run. And it seems like every time we start to talk about making advances in baseball in terms of scholarship numbers, in terms of third assistance, it seems like sometimes the resistance comes from other parts of the country. Do you get the sense that the success that teams like Michigan and these other schools are having in baseball, Notre Dame recently, that that will be able to help us have a positive impact upon the growth of baseball in terms of scholarship numbers and things like that? You know, Charlie, I, I would hope so. But I also realize that we work within an enterprise that has at a few schools budgets approaching $200 million, if not over, and you have budgets with uh, one-tenth of that, right? And you're trying to make rules and regulations that fit all those people. That's, that's impossible to do. I was on a call. I've, I've been on the NCAA Football Oversight Committee for the last four years, and I'm, I'm circling off of that. And it, it is, and I was, we were doing a briefing with Hunter Yurichek, who's replacing me on that committee from Arkansas. And it's hard because you got FCS schools trying to play out of the same rule book that, that we are here at Alabama or SEC schools are. And it's, you know, we're not, we're not the same. But we've all chosen to be part of college, NCAA college athletics. We think there is great value in that. I know the NCAA gets beat up at times. Sometimes it's justified. Sometimes probably not. And I think every time you try to bring more scholarships forward, it, there's a financial reality that a lot of schools are facing. And we all are facing our own financial realities. It may just be with different numbers that you're trying to manage that with. And, and I think that's the, that's the challenge is that, when you bring that forward to some conferences, they're like, no, we can't do any more than 11.7. Some of them are, aren't even funding 11.7, right? And and while we here at Alabama and, and the SEC would love to say, hey, I, let's have 20 across the board or 25 across the board. You make sure you get plenty that, that have baseball be a headcount sport. And I think that would be a good thing for the health of the game. I think it would also be good from creating opportunities to have as much diversity within the game of baseball as possible because different populations don't necessarily see baseball as, as a great opportunity to get a college scholarship and at a significant level where it can pay for school and, and further their education. And so sometimes that gets them to focus on other sports. And, uh, you know, I think baseball should be just like all of our other sports that we have, that there's there's great diversity within the ranks of, the, of your roster because that teaches people to to learn about each other and learn about differences and learn to work together and, and collaborate together. And that's healthy for teamwork. That's healthy for individuals. That's healthy for our society. But I do think it's still an uphill battle when it comes to finding more resources for adding scholarships because of the diversity and budgets of places that we're working with. Talking to Greg Byrne, the athletic director at the University of Alabama. Greg, we come over there this weekend. We play Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I mean, you talked about the hires that you've been a part of and your links to college baseball. You hired a good one a couple of years ago in Brad Bohannon. It just seems like Alabama continues to, to grow. It's it, it, And, hey, listen, when, when you fall behind in this league at all, it's hard to climb back to the middle and then to the top. And then 
from the outside looking in, it looks like Brad's got everything rolling in the right direction. What are your thoughts of, of the Alabama program right now? Yeah, we Brad took over a really tough situation. We had a, we had quite a bit of instability for a while, and that you know when you have that, that impacts your roster and what it looks like. And and we really truly are playing with eleven point seven here at Alabama, and our numbers, you know, our, our university's grown in such a significant manner over the last fifteen years. You know, it, it's something where uh, student bot the student body here will often pay the full rate to go to school here, whether it's in state or out of state, and so the the academic opportunities from a scholarship standpoint are somewhat limited. And so he's he has hit the ground running. I knew Brad when he worked for John Cohen, didn't know him well though. You know, he was the assistant coach at Auburn. And and I had just got to town and I'm like, there is no way in heck I'm gonna hire the assistant coach at Auburn as my first head coaching hire at Alabama. I figured I may have the shortest tenure of any athletic director in the history of the program. And then I sat down and talked to Brad and I'm like God, I love this guy. He's so smart. He's got his NBA from Wake Forest. He was recruiting the heck out of it in Alabama, getting a lot of kids to go to Auburn that we wanted to come to Alabama. And he he had such a great contacts in the up in Canada and throughout the country. It felt like he was the right guy. And so it's been a process for him. Unfortunately, we've had some injuries this year on the mound that have uh, been challenging for us. But the kids are playing playing hard for him. They they believe in he and his staff. You know, I hope we got a good chance to. I haven't checked to see if it's for sure, but I think we're close to getting back to Hoover for the first time in several years, making good progress. And so I'm, I'm really proud of the job that he's he's doing and will continue to do, and and optimistic that that he's going to give us a chance to go out to compete for championships here at Alabama, and uh, and that's what we're going to do no matter no matter the sport. But Brad is a is a heck of a coach, a smart coach, and a good guy, and I love working with him. Greg, as we look back across this past year, I think a lot of credit is due to the athletic directors in the league, to the commissioner of the SEC. You saw some other conferences you know, catch some heat for the way they handled things, and we were all operating in an unknown environment. But it seemed like the SEC really got out front, really was proactive, guarded the health of athletes, and was able to get through a football season, get through a basketball season, and have a successful year. All that being said – as we start to look forward to next year, do you get the sense that we are headed back to maybe the, the good old days, a little more normalcy as we roll into our next football season? Yeah, we're, we're certainly uh, very optimistic about that. Seeing the numbers go down like they have is a great thing. And, and you know, and, and guys, I had COVID, it, and it kicked my butt pretty good. And uh, it's something that, like I said earlier, we tried to respect the virus and respect one another and move forward safely because we felt moving forward was the right thing to do. I think the next step is to have full stadiums and full capacity again. I think our, our fan bases are ready for that. And, uh, you know, obviously, if you list, listen to the medical experts, it's something where they're saying, hey, get vaccinated. And uh, and that's what, you know, we, we've been trying to thoughtfully encourage. And uh, and so, you know, anybody, anything that each person can do to help us get to a, a good ending on this thing is, is going to be good for college sports, or for our student-athletes, for our fan bases. And in our economies, and and uh, that's that's a that's a great thing. So, you know, we are we're selling a full season ticket here at Alabama for football next year, and we, you know, we're not doing a lot of planning to not have that. So that's the, you know, last year at this time we were wondering whether we'd have any fans or we'd have any sports, and so I, I feel like we're we're heading in a much better direction than where we were a year ago at this time, and certainly hopeful that that can continue, and hopefully everybody can do their part to to allow that to happen. Greg, we appreciate you joining us. 
I'll tell you what, uh, I would have to think that nobody that you've worked with since your time in Startville has given you a, such a hard time as me, Mike Ritchie, and the boys in the Bulldog Club. Well, you know, one of the one of the things, Bart, that you blessed me with is is I never had a sense of humor until I worked with you, <laughs> and uh, it, and I I was forced to learn what what a sense of humor was and try to adapt to it. And uh, you know, one of the things I tell our and I don't say my staff, our staff, don't tell me what I want to hear, tell me what I need to know. And Bart, you always did a great job of telling me things I needed to know, even when they were completely wrong. So I, I, I've always appreciated that about you. Yeah, we ask him just to tell us what we need to know a little less frequently, but uh, we're not yeah. having great success with that. There's an opinion or two that comes out of out of Bart's. Mike's a little more reserved about it than Bart is. But, but, uh, <laughs> hey, I passed the Conoco on the way to Jackson yesterday on Highway 25, <laughs> and I thought of Greg Byrne. Anyway. That's good. I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I can be in uh, held in such high esteem. And in all sincerity, you know, they're such good people at Mississippi State. And I, I got a new cell phone number. I even shared it with Bart and, and uh, Mike Ritchie and everybody else over there. They're wonderful people, and, and we always uh, we always have appreciated uh, Starkville and Mississippi State and get to see Cohen all the time and Dr. Keenum and good people over there, that's for sure. Hey, man, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Okay. Roll Tide. No, it's not Roll Tide. It's not Hell State. It's Vroom Maroon. That Vroom Maroon. That's that, if, if that if that would have gone on. I mean, <laughs> it would be up there with Roll Tide right now. That's right. <laughs> and that's Greg Byrne, the athletic director at Alabama Bulldogs, starting a three-game series with the Crimson Tide tonight over in T-Town. And this conversation, once again, brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage, made right here in the state of Mississippi. It's the best you could possibly ask for. If you're putting some sausage on the grill, if you're looking for something to tailgate, man, it's perfect. Country Pleasing Sausage. So, Charlie and I will come back. We'll have a final word, and we'll get you ready for the Bulldogs and the Crimson Tide this weekend in the regular season final series. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Well, great conversations with Pete Young and Greg Byrne. Well, Pete is a guy, Charlie, we talked about it just a moment ago, that when I look back at, at my childhood, we always talk about the 11, 12-year-old kid. I think you're the most impressionable as a young baseball player between the ages of 10 and 12. And that was the time frame that we saw Pete Young. And I remember playing a game, and you always wanted to get dirty. You always wanted to look like Pete because he was always just nasty when he came into pitch in that ninth inning. And even if you didn't slide, you would get in the dugout, and you would take dirt and rub it all over your legs. That way, when you went outside after the game, it actually felt like you played because that guy was just an influential player at Mississippi State, you brought up a name a moment ago. It was almost like it was a pair. You didn't think of Pete Young without thinking about Richie Graham. And, of course, Richie Graham passed away recently, living in the Charlotte area. But those two guys were so instrumental in my childhood growing up to be a Bulldog baseball fan. It's really interesting. That group that came in 87 and some that had gotten here in 86 really – had a ton of success at Mississippi State and coming at a good time. You'd come off that 83 to 85 run with Clark and Palmero and 
you wondered who was going to fill their shoes, who was going to become those next guys, and you start to think, I mean, there are names from those ball clubs that are still all over the record books. You think of a Tommy Raffo, you think of a John Mitchell, you think of Scott Mitchell, his brother. You've got John Shave, Burke Masters, Pete Young, Tracy Eccles, and, you know, a guy that we've talked about some, you go back on those 87-88 teams, you got Dan Paradoa, the left fielder, one of the best hitters in the league, you know, Jody Hurst, but you could just keep going. Yeah, the Winford brothers. You had the Winfords. You had, you know, Jim Robinson that came in, who we've been able to talk to. We've talked to Barry Winford. That was just such a great, great time for me watching Mississippi State baseball. And I go back, you know, something we haven't talked a ton about, 1987, Mississippi State wins the SEC title, but they had to sweep that last weekend to get into the SEC tournament. And Pete brought this up. Nelson Ariete, you know, you think back, you had you had Tracy Jobes and Bobby Reed and all those guys, but Nelson Ariete early in the season, we had two bad days. We had a midweek game where Nelson took a line drive off the face. I think it's the next night that Barry Winford breaks his jaw on a collision at the plate in the game with Delta State. Guy came in high with the elbow, and so that team in '87, talk about young guys getting a you know really knocked off their center losing those two guys, but Nelson coming back in that Sunday game, it had rained. We probably could have called a rain out and gone to Athens. That regional was in Athens that year. We could have gone to the tournament just on the percentages. Ron Polk said we're going to play it, gave the ball to Nelson, and the guy just pitched lights out. Yeah, good stuff. Man, it was great to talk to Pete. And uh, he, he came, I showed him the stadium a couple years ago, and I just, we talked about a lot of different things. And I wanted to ask him about the, the locker room story because I'd heard the stories about, you know, him just kind of being home alone and just eating hot dogs, living off hot dogs and Gatorade that night. And so just, just locked out of everywhere. But uh, it was good to hear that uh, first account story. Okay, so let's look at this weekend. State playing Alabama. You've got Christian McLeod tonight, Tyler Ross for Alabama. We talked about getting knocked back a little bit last week, and you mentioned a moment ago, we just need to play well. This is a team that's struggling at times in the field right now. This is a a team that is struggling at times on the mound right now and a team that's struggling at the plate a little bit right now. Now, that's the glass half-empty look at it. Now, this is still a really good baseball team, don't get me wrong, but just probably not playing as clean as they would like here in the home stretch. Overall, I think coming in, this record that Mississippi State have is is probably ahead of where you thought they would be for a lot of people. So you've still got a chance to put a lot of wins on the board in this year. It just so happens that we took a couple of losses here recently, and I think that's the thing that causes a little bit of concern and frustration. If you have these in week four, you're thinking, well, we bounce back. But look, this is a good team. It's not yet a great team, but it can be. And what I mean by not a great team there's still some question marks out there, right? There is still a chance for somebody to win that left field spot and say it's mine. Well, and we said that in January. What are the two positions, third base and left field? And you've kind of seen fruit basket turnover at both of those positions. Hey, we take shots at the NCAA all the time because it's fun. Some, most of the times it's justifiable. But how about yesterday, them coming out and saying, hey, we're going to go by local and state statute. If it's 100%, allow you to go to 100%. And so, man, that really bodes well for us when it comes to regional in a couple weeks. Man, it's just so awesome because after last year and still part of this year, look, Mississippi State did a great job getting everybody into the ballpark that they were legally able to. They were 
they took the proper precautions. They managed it as best they could. But you look back, Mississippi State's done a great job. That being said, there is still something special about having a regional here, opening the doors, let everybody in. It could be just a great weekend. Charlie enjoyed it, man. Good show. Are we out of time again? We're out of time right now. We're out of time. Literally have gone as long as we possibly can. I feel like we just got here. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us once again today on Out of Left Field. Remember, we'll have the whole series recap for you on Sunday with Sunday Coffee. This is a broken record, but I looked at the numbers yesterday, and, guys, it's it's amazing how much exponential growth has gone on with this show and so we appreciate everybody listening we appreciate all the tweets and the texts about the broadcast whether it be about the broadcast on the sec network plus or right here with our shows and so appreciate all you guys and once again thanks to our great presenting sponsor at farm bureau so for charlie winfield i'm bark gregory saying so long you've been listening to out of left field presented by farm bureau